to Parents Just Don't Understand, a podcast where we discuss children's media, parenting, and the nature of childhood. I'm your co-host, Kurt. Hi, I'm Denise. So since this is our very first episode, I thought it would make sense to do a real quick intro uh, to who we are and where we're coming from. We are uh, a couple of parents. We have two kids, uh, three years old and four months old, respectively, and I think they're pretty awesome. Uh, How about you, Denise? Uh, I won't be returning them anytime soon. <laughs> yes, I, I think I think that the return period has expired. Uh, anyway, it's it's pretty harsh uh, return policy at the hospital. <laughs> yes, um, I think that being a parent is both the best and the worst um, <laughs> on any given day, moment, etc. So uh, I love them; they're great. But you know. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I agree with all of that. It's it's funny um, when uh, there, there's been a lot of people um, at at work who are uh, expecting or have recently had kids, and so I've I've been talking about it a lot to to um, somewhat sl- slightly newer parents. We're we're still in the grand scheme of things relatively you know new new parents. The thing that I keep telling people is that it's hard. But the things that you expect to be hard, like before you're a parent, the things that you expect to spend all your time on uh, often aren't like the things that actually are difficult and the things that you thought would just kind of like happen are the things that actually wind up being really tough, I I feel like. Yeah, it's funny how the things that no one ever talks about end up being the absolute worst. Um, I mean, do you remember when Kayla was born and we were having trouble with breastfeeding and we didn't, yeah. we didn't own bottles. We didn't know, we didn't do anything about sanitizing, didn't know how to use the pump. It was one of those things where it wasn't something that you could anticipate being a problem because no one had ever talked to me about the fact that it's a hard thing to do and it doesn't work out for everyone. Yeah, that's, that's totally true. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Um, it was one of those things that I assumed just sort of happened. It just, it was, it seemed as if it should just work. <laughs> and no one gives you the tools to deal with it when it doesn't. <laughs> I, I feel like part of it is that as adults, you forget what it's like to have to learn how to person. Why By, by the time that you get to be parenting age, you, you probably have, have reached ma- most of your major developmental milestones and that, though, is something that definitely activates things that are baked into your brain that you have to engage with for, for the first time. Parenting instincts, even like emotional changes. I suddenly, and this, this is relevant because this is a media podcast, I find it really difficult now to watch media where, where harm comes to children or where children are even imperiled. I remember the first time that I watched Train Spotting. there's you know, some harm to children in that. And it, it, I, I literally had to go outside and like take a walk to, to calm down. Um, and it wasn't something that I even really noticed before I was a parent. So yeah, definitely changes. I certainly, um, I think that because of the, the stress of everyday life, I'm certainly very drawn to things that are not stressful and I pretty much only want to consume things that will make me laugh because I think that that is the thing that we all need a little more of yeah uh, agreed so we are of course a children's media podcast and I guess the reason that we thought this would be a good idea is that 
there's an enormous amount of media and an enormous industry dedicated to young children. When we talk about children's media, and I think especially when non-parents talk about children's media, they're often thinking about like Pixar films or Disney films. But really a lot of that media, I feel like, especially Pixar films, is really family media, which is meant to be consumed both by an adult audience and a very young audience. And on the other hand, you have something like some of the shows that we'll get into, which are very repetitive early childhood education shows where, whereas Pixar has little nods and winks and jokes that only an adult will get, there's really none of that in, say, Paw Patrol. It's it's really just for very young kids. And it seemed like an area of media that is under-discussed. And increasingly, I feel like it's very important to who we become as people. So, do, do yeah. you agree? Um, no. <laughs> that was that was sarcasm. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, and I think that one of the things that we'll probably point out is how all these children's shows kind of have the same mathematical formula of of the primary components of like problem solving or, you know, some slight educational component to them. Um, yeah. It's funny right now because I mentioned Paw Patrol and we're now being besieged by pets. So you, yes. you you may hear pet noises in the background. Pay no attention to them. They're not they're not on the podcast. Although I, I guess in a way they are sort of our, our phantom co hosts. We have we have three cats and a dog, so we have a very packed a very packed house. Uh, although it was somewhat less packed recently because Denise, you you've been traveling uh, for the past couple of days, and so presumably you have not been watching a ton of young children's media. How was your uh, kid show, kid book detox? Uh, it was pretty excellent. Um, I got the opportunity to mom level up on the airplane. Um, <laughs> there was a mom traveling on her own with her 11-month-old as a lap child and um and it's rough so i was able to help her i actually um shared my cell phone with her for uh, a bit of the plane to help entertain her her young one fortunately i still have the um friskies insect app on my phone (laughs) which is if you just think about like the bubble bursting app it's pretty much that where you just click on the bugs and then they poof away and it was the child was very entertained so it was it worked out well but beyond that there was no children's media consumed by me um i was with a group of parents and i did probably mention to every single one of them my number one rant about the paw patrol series because all of us have at least one child and the you know at least one of those children is in the 2 to 3 year old range and it just seems that the the addiction to Paw Patrol is uh, very pervasive in mm. that age range. So so I'm glad that you mentioned Paw Patrol because it was one of the shows that we did watch a fair bit of while you were away. And since you, Denise, were traveling, I, Kurt, was solo parenting for the weekend, although I did have some assistance from my grandparents. And uh, there's definitely some interesting interactions with children's media and grandparents that maybe we can dig into another time. But your parents, the children's grandparents. My yes, my 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 mother and father uh, are are children's 
Fr- no. Fr- paternal. Paternal. Paternal grandparents. Fraternal would be brother, I think. Yes. Uh, so I wanted to briefly talk about some of the shows that we watched in, in your absence and kind of just uh, share some brief impressions on, on each one. Maybe just, just talk about the way that we have been engaging with it. Uh, but first, I wanted to give a real quick update um, on a children's book that I have been working on called There Are Secrets Everywhere. So I've been working on this for a couple months now, and it was part of what inspired me to start doing this podcast because I've been thinking much more critically about children's media now that I'm trying to create some of it. I am working with an illustrator by the name of Meg Lemure, who is awesome. Meg, the illustrator, has actually been at a children's book illustration workshop for the past week, which is pretty cool, and had an opportunity to talk to some really very well-established children's book illustrators. And Meg is a a super-duper gifted illustrator and has done children's books before, but it's only part of what what she does normally. And so she had the opportunity to talk to and work with and learn from some some super-specialized children's book illustrators. It sounds like it was awesome. And so maybe on the next show, I'll have some kind of tidbits about that that biz to share. So in terms of while you were away, uh, Paw Patrol was one of these shows that we consume a lot of. I would actually say that we consumed somewhat less of it in the past couple days. And I kind of put that down to a change in household status. Seems like it kind of shakes things up sometimes. But for anyone not familiar with Paw Patrol, the series is about a young boy named Ryder who leads a crew of search and rescue dogs that call themselves the Paw Patrol. And they work together on missions to protect the shoreside community of Adventure Bay. And thank you, Wikipedia, for that brief synopsis. Uh, So my impression of Paw Patrol, I was thinking about this over the weekend, it's basically G.I. Joe for three-year-olds. You have these characters, they all have accessories, they don't, you know, obviously they don't have guns, but they all have little tools and it's a very toy focused show. They all have their own different vehicles. Each season they introduce new vehicles then therefore presumably can introduce new toys. I don't know. It just, it strikes me as a very merchandising first show and I have very mixed opinions on it. How about you, Denise? Yes. Um, and actually it's not even each season that is when the new vehicles are being introduced. I feel like it's like every other episode there's like a new vehicle or thing or gadget or are we doing highs and lows for this or is that going to be only for the primary? Well, you know what? We can do, we can do highs and lows for, for each of them. Sure. Okay. Um, my... I would say that probably my favorite thing about Paw Patrol is that it's always a collaborative effort to solve the problem. Um, My low is my rant that I will tell everyone about that the pups eat human food, which as an owner of a pup uh, and the parent of a human, uh, (laughs) I feel very strongly about making sure that our children know that our pup does not eat human food and stressing what happens when pups eat human food i.e the grape incident we had where we had to take our dog to you know the emergency weekend vet to have her stomach pumped basically 
because she had eaten an unknown quantity of grapes. And, you know, I felt pretty vindicated about my suspicions because I remember we were on the fa- on the fence about whether or not a grape had actually been consumed. Uh, so backtracking real quick, the, the highs and lows, um, each episode we are going to do a slightly deeper dive on one or a couple of shows or books or something. Uh, we'll do shows this time and just kind of give a couple things that we like and a couple things that we dislike about each. So my high for Paw Patrol is that it's a very low drama, low stress show. The stakes are pretty low in general. There's not really much in the way of the misunderstanding-based education that a lot of these shows have. And what I mean by by misunderstanding-based education is one character will misinterpret what another one means or intends and there'll be a very low level kids show fight about it or one character will act out or be selfish or greedy or something and then throughout the course of the episode they'll learn that this is not something to do and Paw Patrol really doesn't have very much of that and the reason I say that that's a high is because I actually worry sometimes that by showing these behaviors you actually bring them into existence and I know that it would happen eventually anyway but there's one particular book that we have Pig the Pug which is an adorable book and I like it a lot but it's about a pug who is very greedy and at one point in the story the pug goes no 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 and after we read that book for a while uh, our older daughter definitely started saying no 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 kind of jokingly and now she does it in a non-joking way if you want her to do something that she doesn't want to do so that's that's my high is that it's it's a very low stress show you look like you have something that you want to add i was actually thinking of the when our older daughter uses the line from the book it's mine 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 oh yeah um because then we have to like reinforce and talk about sharing and all you know those things of uh, yeah so my low for paw patrol is as i mentioned it's a very merchandise based show much more so than some of the other ones that we'll talk about and each pup in the show and that's that's what the show calls them is is pups generally has a kind of has a job of some sort and they're those jobs that they tell you about or at least that they told you about in the 90s when you were a young kid and they were like here's the eight jobs that exist in every town and one of the pups is a police officer pup or a a traffic enforcement pup initially so first of all i have some qualms about that to begin with which i won't go too in-depth on here but as the show goes on in a very weird gi joey way the the police pup whose name is chase gets increasingly militarized to the point that in later seasons he literally has a drone that he sends out and like body armor and it's very strange it's a very strange aesthetic to see in a in a children's show and i think that it's both a weird merchandising angle of like look at these new tools and gadgets and at the same time it raises the question of why does the police dog have a drone and it's just a very strange thing to have in a in a children's show uh any other thoughts about about paw patrol before we move on to to the next show I have so many, but I think we should just move on. Yeah, I think we could do an entire episode on, on Paw Patrol at, at some point, and probably will. Uh, yes, I have a lot of lows about Paw Patrol. Not as many highs, but lots of lows. It is a well-made show, I, I will say. It's it's not 
it's not a kind of cheap and crummy uh, show, which actually brings me to my next one that we watched a bit of while you were away. Although, actually, I take that back. We actually just started watching that this evening, which is Word Party. So Word Party is a uh, CGI children's show, and that's a Paw Patrol is also a CGI-based children's show. I guess almost almost all the ones that we watch are are CGI-based. So there's a few that that aren't. Uh, Hilda, which we love, but won't talk about too much this time, is is not CGI. That's more traditional animation. Uh, but Word Party is a CGI children's show. It is a vocabulary building program that features four young animals: Kip the Wallaby, Bailey the Elephant. Franny the Cheetah, and Lulu the Panda, who love to sing, dance, and play. And the show focuses on vocabulary, and the CGI is firmly in the Uncanny Valley territory, where it looks kind of real, but also just looks... like You can tell that the the budget for this show is very, very low, and I don't mean any slight towards the people who, who work on it, but I really wish that more effort went into the show or that the show had more resources to do a better job because it's it's really not great and the thing is it's it's actually a Jim Henson production and I, I feel like that's really surprising because I, I'm not sure if Jim Henson's studio is owned by Disney or if Disney just bought the Muppets but it, it seems as if they should have the resources to, to do a much better show from this like the the mouth animations don't really sync up with the words there's a lot of really creepy facial animation uh it just it bothers me yeah i also think that um probably when this show started it was around the time when people weren't investing a lot in shows for this age demographic they were just like you need content so we're just gonna throw something together because Mm -hmm. the kids don't care and and do you know what i don't necessarily think our daughter cares about the quality of the graphics or the fact that the lips don't sync up with the words Mm -hmm. right so um so i mean maybe it's serving its purpose no she definitely enjoys it i mean she was getting up and clapping and dancing along which is great and it's part of the thing that's neat about children's media and seeing it as an adult is the way that unexpected things resonate with kids that that wouldn't with an adult and it's never quite clear why certain things or at least it's never quite clear to me why certain things resonate with kids but there are specific kids shows paw patrol one of them that are very widely popular so there's clearly specific things that kids like Mm. that adults don't care as much about and so yeah she definitely enjoys the show but at the same time there's 10 other shows that she also enjoys and, Mm -hmm. and i would be happy to remove this kind of weird awkward cgi show from from the rotation i i do think it's great that it teaches vocabulary uh i guess my high for this show would be that it teaches vocabulary and i like that it's a specific focused educational thing because a lot of these shows are quasi educational but there's a couple shows that we watch that are specifically focused on a specific area of childhood development and obviously my my low is just the the creepy cgi i also think it's weird that the animals are all wearing diapers and i don't know why i think that's weird because you know they're they're baby animals they they live in a nursery of some sort so it makes sense that they're that they're wearing diapers it's just it's just weird because nobody ever seems to change the diapers there's actually right. there's no grown-ups in the show at all isn't it there's just they're just babies um they they make like eye contact with the camera so i think that the assumption is that the adult is 
who they're performing for. Mm. Um, well, Milo is the fact that the animals themselves, there is a cheetah and then three vegetarian animals. So I just think it's a little odd that um, the particular episode we watched earlier, they're playing hide and seek and the cheetah is on the prowl <laughs> trying to tag the next animal and it just sort of felt like maybe they shouldn't put a predator in with its prey <laughs> yeah well if one of them ever disappears you'll know you'll know where that kid went sorry that was they, dark dark humor they could have very easily picked four vegetarian uh, yes. animals um i think that my high is actually the graphics of the kangaroo because every time I look at him I can I just think about the um the kangaroo men characters from Tank Girl <laughs> the film which is one of my very favorite films of all time um and I probably will try and sneak in a secret rewatch of that this week um but he just looks so much like them like if you if you shrunk those guys down that's exactly what this baby kangaroo looks like and i just get some enjoyment for myself out of uh, making that correlation in my head (laughs) that's yes that's absolutely spot on and it is that sort of weird each of the characters has a kind of halfway human halfway animal face (laughs) <laughs> pet, a, pet noises a cat making some kind of weird noise but so. Okay, so the third show that we're going to talk about is a Netflix original TV series called True so True follows 8 year old True and her best friend Bartleby the cat as they help the whimsical citizens of the Rainbow Kingdom a wonderful colorful universe filled with delight and fantastical citizens so how do you feel about about true denise um my highs and lows probably are um well my high is that her best friend and sidekick is a cat and um we've been having a sort of tumultuous time with our daughter's relationship with our own cat because (laughs) there was a horrific scratch incident Uh. Um, and so she still is kind of like nervous, but she's pretty excited about the cat and, um, and the character true actually uses a nickname for the cat, which I think is cute too. And it's a, it's a name that we, uh, that we use for our, our youngest daughter. Um, and then, uh, I guess my low is that this show kind of falls into the trap of, we don't really expect kids to understand, so we're going to have weird scenarios where me as a as an adult in STEM and just being an inquisitive person in general wants to know, like, what's the purpose of the tree? Like, why is True the only person that can retrieve the wishes and use them? Why, how does this society, like, survive without her? I do also have a second low. There is sort of this character who Griselda Griselda she she's not great she's a pretty blonde princess and uh, I struggle with the fact that she's just kind of like rude and also she has 
these like minions <laughs> um and that relationship is not ever really like described but i just really dislike the way that she treats them and and the fact that that they exist and that there's some kind of weird oligarchy system that's happening in the rainbow kingdom because they also have a king and the princess is not related to the king and they live in different castles and i just I I have a lot of questions and I no no answers because none of this stuff is like addressed in any of the episodes. Yeah, it's one of those shows where there's only one human character or I guess two two human characters because both True and Griselda are human and everyone else is either a talking animal or like a weird blob creature and it yeah, it's a very adventure timey sort of setting. It raises questions about where did where did True come from? Where the did boy that lives in the magic tree? Is oh, Zen, Zen, Z, Z, Z. Yes. So three humans. They seem to be part of some kind of a, uh, a an elite warrior or ruler class. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. And like, why can you only have three wishes? And what happens if you have a problem that you can't solve with a wish? And also, how does that help you in real life? Like, I guess it it's saying that you need to have tools but you can't request the wishes that you want let's say the problem is that your roof is leaking and uh you just like ask the universe to provide you with three tools to help you solve that problem and you just have to only work within the construct of what you're given instead of problem solving and deducing and choosing for yourself Mm -hmm. what tools so I, I, I'm i going to flip it around and say that's actually one of my highs is that it specifically focuses on kind of abstract problem solving. And I like that it puts an emphasis on here's three things and they're often very unusual in relation to the the problem at hand. So there was one that we watched where they needed to cure the the rainbow king had an illness and they needed to cure the illness and the tools that were provided were some kind of a little fire wish that made things hot uh, a wish that made things bigger or smaller and then i forget what the oh a translator wish that could translate any language and i kind of liked that they just had to figure out what each tool was used for as they went through. And this is another one of those shows, like I mentioned earlier, that focuses on a specific aspect of childhood development, which I think is is kind of cool. But if you have this, like, omniscient wishing tree, <laughs> can't you just, like... And then... And, I don't know. some, And it turns out some of the wishes are way better than others. Like, we found out today that one could rewind. Why don't you just always use rewind to make the, the bad thing not happen (laughs) oh i miss that there is there's a time travel wish yes that seems very unfair in the uh, narrative universe of of true in the rainbow kingdom they bound the rewind wish to the eraser wish so that the eraser wishes um anxiety about its power would be lessened because it was it would accidentally erase things and so they they bound the two together so they they altered history with the rewind. So this is kind of a multiple worlds theory of time travel, right. in which which begs the question of what happened to the other timeline. <laughs> <laughs>
This is a much deeper show than I expected. I, I didn't realize that this was this was essentially a, a, a toddler version of Legion. Oh, I thought you were gonna talk about that that um that film we watched from the where they like kept uh they he, he like hid in the time machine. Oh primer? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were gonna reference primer. I, I, I would love to see if uh if if the guy who made that made a children's show, that would be really interesting. <laughs> so my low for true is very close to what your first low was, which is related to the the kind of snobby or slightly mean princess character Griselda. So, like I mentioned earlier, I think there's this thing that a lot of these kids shows do, where to demonstrate emotional intelligence or to demonstrate kind of correct behavior and, and interpersonal relationships, they'll have a character that that goes against, has a negative emotional or behavioral response to a situation, like they're greedy or they're they're mean or they're uh, they're they get angry and and they just totally lose it. Uh, and then they'll show throughout the course of the episode why this is bad and show here's the more positive response that you can have. You can try to sell your differences with people. You can try to compromise. You can share. Uh, all of the negative behaviors seem to get offloaded onto Griselda. And so she's basically just being a butt in every single episode. Uh, there was a Wacky Racers type episode uh, Wacky Racers being this old Hanna-Barbera show for anyone who's who's listening who's too young to remember that where it's it was just a weird racing competition episode of, of this show uh, and each character had their own racing vehicle and Griselda was super focused on winning and to your point about her minions she made the minions into basically the engine of her vehicle and made them run inside of a hamster wheel that powered the vehicle it's a very exploitative really there's a lot of things i could say about labor relations here that i won't go into but uh and then at the end she she didn't win so she was hyper focused on winning and at the end she didn't win because there was kind of a tortoise in the hare thing where just these two characters that nobody takes seriously just kind of accidentally won and true asks her well didn't you have fun anyway and she goes yeah i guess i did i guess it was fun but she does this every single episode she never seems to learn anything i think it's much better to rotate around which character like true never seems to make a mistake she's pretty much just like perfect and wonderful all the time and then griselda is just always like kind of like i said kind of being a butt or or if true does make a mistake it's something that's like very clearly like accidental right it's like yeah um and i think that my my other point is that uh i think i'm going to just like mentally start keeping tallies of how often the little blonde girls are jerks and we are now on i think the third type of show where the hero is actually a blue-haired girl huh so interesting um, oh yeah true does have have blue hair and hilda has blue hair yeah that's true um and is blue a recessive or a dominant gene do you suppose <laughs> uh neither it's, a, <laughs> it's an alternative color or something it's a fashion choice but, but but my my take is that you know in these shows if if the hero character has blue hair anyone's hair could be any color and i don't know if there's some kind of like unconscious bias where we're attaching this like blonde hair to this jerk and i think it's just because 
as the parent of a blonde-haired little girl, I don't want her to associate with those behaviors, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and, and kids pick up weird things when they watch shows where they just kind of make an assumption about, oh, well, this happened in the show, so that's the way that things always are for forever. And kids don't understand that it's when they're young that it's just like a one-off thing. So yeah, they could very easily come to believe that you know b- blonde-haired kids are like mean or 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 bad or something. That could give them a whole weird complex. I have one other weird fact about about True, which is that it was apparently designed and licensed by an an, uh, an art collective called Friends with You that does like conceptual and experiential art installations. And they have it's kind of like uh, who's the artist who does those those sculptures that look like like balloon animals like balloon dogs there's some corporate art guy who sells these giant balloon dog sculptures for millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars uh and it's a very similar kind of like pop art style and all of their stuff looks like things that would fit in in the true universe and it's it's interesting i want to read really quick the, the way that they describe themselves, which is Friends with You is a fine art collaborative of Samuel Borkson and Arturo Sandoval III, working collectively since 2002 with the sole purpose of spreading the positive message of magic, luck, and friendship trademark. There's a trademark symbol there. Uh, they're known for immersive installations and interactive artworks. I remember we were discussing this before the show that it has a very distinct visual style, and I guess it explains why it has a distinct visual style um and i guess that would be my other hive of the show which is that it has you can tell that it has really strong strong art direction unlike say word party which just kind of has these weird cgi animals actually as you were just talking i came up with another high that i have i think that the writers and the creators of the show their political leanings etc are kind of show through because there's an episode about pollution in the river and they solved mm. it. Another episode that we watched, they were having a lantern festival, but they had invented lanterns, and they were essentially bubbles. Mm-hmm. So that, and they were very clear about the reason that they were having this was because they had bubble lanterns, and they would not harm or damage the environment in any way. And she specifically said, "Oh, it won't hurt the environment." And I, and I was like, "Oh." Hmm. Funny how we always constantly talked about the environment in the 90s, and now it's just kind of like, <laughs> oh, it's one more thing. Well, we're interested in your feedback. What shows are your kids watching? What shows would you like us to watch and maybe provide feedback on? Um, I also cannot wait for Kayla to be of the age where I can share media with her that I specifically remember watching. Um, I was incredibly passionate about Ghost Rider. And, and the Voyage of the Mimi. I can't wait to get to the point where, you know, our our children are at the age where I can share those with them. I'm sure they'll think they're awful, just like I think that the stuff that, you know, our parents like to watch is awful. But And to be clear, that's Ghost Writer with a W-R, the, the ghost that makes letters appear floating in the air, and not Ghost Rider the Marvel Comics character who is a leather-wearing skeleton with with a flaming skull for a head. Just to be totally clear. That was a box office bust. Yes, a a double box office bust (laughs) starring starring Nicolas Cage both times. So in the future, we're going to have all sorts of different topics and interviews, and we'll try to keep you abreast of the different media that we are consuming with our kids 
in our household. We'd love your feedback, suggestions on shows to watch or check out, shows to avoid and not watch. Uh, and Looking next, at you, Caillou. Yes, absolutely. No, no Caillou ever. We, we do not say that name. Caillou does not exist in this dojo. It's well, the C word. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all for this time. Thanks for joining us on Parents Just Don't Understand. And goodbye. Cheers. Cheers.